You've investigated the desktop bridge, and you realize you finally have an opportunity to take advantage of the Windows Store and all the things that it has to bring. But how do you do it? Where do you start? What do you do from now? Well, this is part two of talking about the desktop bridge, where we get into the nitty-gritty of things you need to consider inside your application and be ready to be amazed at how little change you need to be able to qualify and get your app into the store tomorrow. That's this episode of Dev Radio. Okay, let's step back a little. I've, I've kind of felt it out. I, I, my calculator is a pretty good candidate. It's a very small set, set of changes I have to make, maybe none at all, to be honest. Um, and at the same time, I'm ready now to kind of go through the process. Uh, when a developer comes to you and says, I'm ready to try out the desktop bridge, what we, what's step one? Uh, step one is to fill out a form. Uh, we have a, a website where you can uh, basically register for the program uh, where you provide just a few pieces of information uh, about your, your name and your, your, uh, your company and your website and, and that's about it. And now wait, wait. I want to I help out the listener here. We'll put this in the description as well. So step number one is to uh, put your name on a list so that you can get permission to have this type of, of application. Can you imagine if just anybody could submit a full trust application to the store? It'd be chaos and nightmare. So step one to, is to get on that list. Where is that list? I have the URL. It is a, it's HTTP, aka.ms, which is where all of Microsoft's short URLs are, aka.ms slash desktop bridge sign up. Desktop bridge sign up. All, no spaces or anything like that. All right, so that'll take us to the form that you're talking about. That'll start the wheels rolling to vet us. So I, if I just want to check a box and I have, I have uh, full trust access, that's not the way it works. I have to be vetted first. Yeah, so what happens next is uh, that uh, one of our engineers uh, reaches out to you and uh, basically uh, helps you through the process of, uh, you know, testing, uh, certifying, and, and submitting your application. So, okay. uh, so it's a pretty, uh, pretty nice uh, process, and you'll get to you know, meet uh, some nice folks here at, at Microsoft. Uh, <laughs> That's right. On, All on the a, app consult guys, maybe the basis. friendliest we've ever hired. Exactly. Great, true. guys. Now, uh, well, let me ask car- you about that. Oh, go ahead, Uni. Um, because I uh, hear about this from customers quite often. That's all assuming you wanted your app to be available in our store. Uh, step one, if you just wanted to make it available in Jerry Nixon's incorporated uh, firm, you don't yeah. need to do anything. You can just download Visual Studio, convert your app, and give it to all your employees. That's just fine, you know. Uh, okay, so, so, so that's so. that's a great clarification. If if all I want to do is sideload this through GPO or some sort of thing, I've or, got or internally ETU or whatever mechanism that has man in your enterprise. Uh, power to you. Okay. All right, that's actually a great story because there are going to be a lot of companies who are like, now wait just a second. The last thing I want to do is talk to a human. <laughs> so, all right, fine. Uh, what, about, what about the other kind of businesses? What if um, I do want to put my application through the store, but I want to put it through the Windows Store for business that will isolate it only to my company? Do I still need to go through this vetting process? Um, 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. So the the onboarding process to the Windows Store for Business is uh, in essence very similar to to the consumer store in terms of uh, the mechanics, uh, but. Uh, but some some different set of policies is being applied there, so uh, that is more tailored towards the the, the uh, enterprise scenario. Yeah. Now, one special thing a UWP application cannot do, but a desktop bridge can do, is uh, run its startup. And a lot of uh, desktop applications have this as a requirement because they're monitoring for something, waiting for a message or something. I think about Slack. If Slack didn't load every time you started Windows, but you had to remember to go load it up, who need to go crazy? He wouldn't be bragging about Slack. He'd be complaining about Slack. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, and uh, clearly that was one of the uh, first requirements that we realized when we looked at uh, some of the uh, apps that are good candidates for the desktop bridge. And uh, so, so that's a feature that you know, was included you know, from day one in the anniversary update. Uh, so you can declare in the Apex manifest, uh, hey, this is a, a process from my package that, that I need to uh, run whenever uh, whenever the user logs on, and then we'll uh, we'll uh, load up that process for you. And so we're now uh, actively working on uh, extending that feature also to UWP uh, in the fall creator All update. Right. Action. Nice, Brad. Very nice. That people every UWP just did a every UWP developer just did a backflip when you said that. That is awesome. 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 So I'll, I'll, um, uh, I'll already. Readily admit that the first thing I do after I install Office, for example, is to turn off Skype from starting by itself. You know, yeah. so right. uh, I like to be in control of what's running, so that I can, uh, you know, essentially work in privacy or in a private private mode uh, yeah. without online and things like that. But that said, I totally understand that. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Uni, and uh, this goes back to kind of a. The Win32 app model uh, versus the UWP app model, where in the Win32 world, any app could just you know put itself into the list of startup tasks, and uh, it would uh, it would get launched. And you know the user has never intended that to be the case, and the user is not really in control. Uh, the way we're designing it for UWP uh, is actually. And you know we we have the the goal to solve this kind of uh, problem. So the way it will work is even if you declare yourself as a startup uh, app, um, the user first needs to uh, launch your app uh, at least once. Then the app can call an API to request being added to the uh, startup nice. list, and nice. that will trigger a one-time user consent dialog. So in in your case, Uni, you could say, oh. Skype for Business, yep. no, I don't want to allow you, and then it will be done. Uh, nice. But if you allow it, then you know you get the benefits, and then later you can also uh, go into the settings and, and change them. Now, Stefan, I, I want to make sure we're talking about the desktop bridge and not UWP, but since we're talking about this, I can't help it. Uh, if I use a, let's say if, if I use a startup background task as the first thing that executes after installation for my UWP application, can that call that same API and add me to the startup list, or do I need to wait for the foreground application to launch? Yeah, so that uh, one requirement for that uh, API is that your app is actually in the foreground. Uh, okay, so no prefetch either. It's uh, you got to wait till you're actually running. The user actually has to run your your foreground application, and then uh, the app can ask for for the permission. Okay, 
All right, I I get it. I, I was just kind of wondering, you know, how I can actually make this that sucker work. I I like that. I like that a lot. If my app's not good enough that a user can't run it one time, then maybe it doesn't deserve to be running at startup. And how many you how many um how many Win32 applications add themselves to start? It just like pulls my hair out, right? Because I'll install Chrome, and now the Chrome updater has to install, and I'll I'll install Reader from Adobe, and the the, the updater has to install Java, has to. I have all these things in my tray. I click, you know, expand. It goes all the way across this the the taskbar now, and because every single one of them is an updater looking to see if you know is iTunes up to date or not, and all these things drive me crazy. All of those get erased. The desktop bridge doesn't just come make it easier for a developer or for an IT pro because of easy uninstallation. This is a the user really is going to have a real advantage to this because of if nothing else, just this upgrade scenario where the store is the one thing that's always running, looking, and upgrading applications as long as you install them from the store. Yeah, and you don't want all these apps to uh, use up all your CPU, use up all your memory, use up your battery all the time, right? I mean, that's that's not not a good user experience. So with uh, with all these changes in in UWP, we're we're not you know only making apps better; we're making the the whole uh, system experience better. Okay, I, I've used the desktop app converter just like we talked about. I've downloaded it off the store. I've downloaded the, the, the Windows image file, which is this gigantic 4 gigabyte file that is somehow required for conversion. What's the purpose of this enormous file? So that file uh, facilitates the, the the isolated environment that that we need in order to uh, kind of run your installer like one last time in a, in a completely clean uh, environment with no external uh, changes. Okay. Uh, so we can precisely record all the uh, registry changes, all the file system changes that your installer does so that we can then accurately create um, a Windows app package that declaratively uh, does all the exact same thing. Okay, so um, when I, you just need to execute it inside an environment, inside a, a virtual environment you're going to create using the WIM file and that's one of the reasons when I read the documentation it says must be using Windows 10 Professional one of the reasons is because this is actually Hyper-V that's running. It's uh, it's kind of a VM, yeah. Uh, okay. So it's it's like an, an instance of Windows that is isolated from from the rest. Yep. Okay. So if what if I don't have? I, I want to back up just to the idea of Hyper-V. If I don't have Hyper-V um, running, is this is that okay? Is it is it running something? else or I, I need to have my BIOS enabled for Hyper-V to use um, the, the wind? I think you do. Um, so I mean, check on MSDN, there are the yeah. exact requirements there. Uh, yeah, I think you need to yeah, run on the, on the Pro uh, SKU of, of Windows 10 and then okay. have certain things enabled uh, that I don't all remember uh, from the top of my head. That's okay. It needs to match the computer that I'm running it on, obviously, right? Because I want everything to match, um, and it's a requirement. Um, and once I go through the converter, step two, I guess we're on now. I've run through the converter. It's used this um, image file to be able to really see everything my installer is doing. It's recorded all that, taken all those, created my initial uh, registry hive, created my initial 
virtual file system, packaged all that and my executable inside an Apex. In many cases, that Apex is ready to go because the desktop converter has also done really cool things like gone into my EXE, found all my icons, pulled them out, reformatted all my images and dropped them in my assets. Maybe it's done a great job of that. You know, maybe, maybe I'm very particular and it's a little too, you know, it missed something or whatever and I want to go in and, and fix it. But in many cases, that step, we're in step two. Step three is submit to the store. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you are definitely ready uh, for testing now. Uh, so mm -hmm. that part is important. Uh, after uh, the conversion, you know, uh, you want to make sure you test your application uh, thoroughly, even though we didn't change any of your code. Um, as, as you've learned, we are uh, making some modifications at, at runtime in terms of, you know, redirecting uh, your, your rights to, to files and, and registry. Uh, so just to make sure you, you didn't have any sort of uh, wrong assumptions or bad assumptions in, in your code that, that are no longer true after the conversion, it is very important that you do kind of a thorough test pass. Uh, and then and also, part of that test pass would be to run the Windows Application Certification Kit, right? It will do a pretty thorough test pass and just turns out maybe I do need to make just a change or two to my calculator and it's identified something or a, a missing asset or just some, it'll tell me what it all is. That's the same certification kit that the, the team in the store uses too. So it's a, it's, it gives me a, a quick peek into the future of what they'll be looking and interrogating my application with. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, with the creators update SDK, uh, the WAC uh, tool now supports desktop bridge applications. So this is something new uh, for those folks who have started earlier, like before creators update, uh, they didn't have that uh, luxury. Uh, but now, yeah, you can uh, run all those tests uh, yourself before okay. you go through the submission. All right, let's let's talk about the in-between step before uh, you know the WAC is identified. Um, WAC Windows Application Certification Kit has identified there's something I need to change. And so uh, my, here's what I do. I, I rename that Apex to .zip, unzip the whole thing into a folder like I would want. And I go in and I'm like, oh, I need to delete my uninstall.exe or I need to, you know, whatever it is. I need to go in and do my whatever t little thing that's special for my application. Then the next step isn't to run the, 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 the DAC anymore, right? The DAC is actually done and I may never rerun the desktop application kit or uh, converter again I may only run now it's kind of sibling friend called make Apex and what's special about make Apex yeah that's a good point uh, yeah the the desktop app converter uh, you really only run once in order to create the the structure of your package and and the package itself uh, mm -hmm. but now from here on out any modifications you do whether it's you know updating your visual assets or making some code changes or making content changes those will go directly into the apex layout um, and then uh, once you've made any change you can mm -hmm. create a new apex uh, package by using the make Apex tool that comes uh, with so ESD. what I what I can't do is uh, uh, rezip that folder into a zip file and rename that zip file into a .apex right there there are hashes and CRCs that are just needed to be created yep. that's what 
That's what Make Apex does. And the great news about Make Apex is one, it doesn't use that image file. You're done with the image file. So the second thing that's great about it is it's all command line. So now I can start integrating it into my build automated build process. It's Make Apex that I wanted. I want to drop in my new exe, and then I want to make a new Apex out of it, and I can do the whole thing through command line. Don't have to worry about that four gig file or anything like that. It's nice, quick, and has it together. Now, the one thing that's special and has always been true is if I want to run a UWP application it or install, it must be signed. And so I can, cert, I can add a, a signature cert, cert to my Apex so that I can sideload it locally or sideload it into my employees or whatever, and it will execute. But if I'm going to, which is, which is an important part, when you look at the docs, it's always sign, 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 sign. But I think it's important that developers understand that signature, that certificate that you're wait, wanting to use is not necessary for once it goes to the store because even if I've signed it, it will be unsigned in a sense and then re-signed with a certificate that the store owns that is already trusted by all Windows 10 users. Your application, uh, you know, a lot of open source developers have that little donate button on their website and really all they're trying to do is raise the $400 a year so they can buy their app cert so that they could be a trusted application that's installed. All of that is a free gift from Microsoft to you that you no longer need to have that app cert because it comes free, free with the store. It's pretty sweet. It's really sweet, actually. Yeah, the, I, oh, those are very good points, yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I can, I'm not stopping there, Stefan. There's more. It, it's unbelievable. I send it up to the store. Here's the next thing as an open source developer. I have to rely on crazy sites like, like download.com because, honestly, I can't afford the traffic. I, my, I have a very popular application and the ingress egress cost is just too much for me right maybe as maybe i'm not open source maybe i'm a company with a very very popular app and i'm like wow we are spending tons of money just to deliver these bits on over to people who may or may not use it but all of that ingress and egress from and to the store I don't. I never even see that. That's a, another, yet another serious gift from Microsoft that I don't have to worry about. And more importantly, it's not just a server with an endpoint out there. It's a CDN across the globe that delivers my application. Where I'm getting, it's not just free ingress and free egress. That's it's a free CDN and a free certificate trusted across all Windows 10 users. All of a sudden, this is incredible, right? This is yeah. a heck of a deal. Let's not forget all the local payment methods uh, around the globe that. You know, you don't need to worry about anymore. That's another great point. That is absolutely right. Not only do I do I not only now is my application um, not only is the the page that allows you to download it and install it and pay for it all localized for me, right? All of that's handled by the store, right? My application is not localized. I'm the developer. I'm in charge of that. But all of the interaction when it comes to fulfillment and money is all handled there. Currency is all handled for me, and more importantly, and perhaps something that not all developers think of, the liability of dealing with people's credit cards and bank accounts, you will never touch that because the store handles all of it for you. And so your application, a lot of the nightmares that come after these great ideas that developers have, they write their software, they're ready to deliver it, they're like, what? I have to do all this other stuff? The store is like, look, just write your application, we'll handle everything from there, even if your app is free. That's what's crazy. So, I mean, I could keep going, but I don't want to. <laughs> uh, now, one thing that's great, once I wrap this up in an Apex, I also have the ability in my Win32 application to access WinRT APIs and be able to do things with a, an EXE that I used to only be able to do with an Apex, right? And I can do, all of a sudden, magical things. Um, and Uni now suddenly 
you've even given me a set of APIs that I can download through NuGet. A lot of developers, uh, you know, they're not quite sure where to find that NuGet package that I think it's just called Desktop UWP or UWP Desktop. It's one of those. Do you know which one it is? It's one of those two. And uh, all of a sudden, there's WinRT in my calculator application, and I'm not, I haven't even started writing my UWP app. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. Uh, absolutely, you can use uh, you know all of the all of the great packages that users have put out there for you know .NET uh, and UWP, uh, and you can leverage all of that code as well. The one thing I want to clarify in the context of the converter before we sort of move on to this topic: using the converter is mandatory, right? Like uh, that's one workflow you kind of use if you have an installer handy, right? In some yeah, uh, yeah. And by the way, like we have been partnering with I don't know five or seven. Is that right, Stefan? Uh, yeah, something like that. Five, six. Uh, uh, top, uh, top of the top, top, top of the guys who essentially, uh, uh, you know, people used to build these installers, uh, okay. so that we spit out the Apex package, uh, you know, right from their uh, their tool, right? So you don't oh, have oh, to oh, tools like Install Shield and Wise and stuff like that. That's right. So you don't have to use the the, the converter. Uh, that's one tool in your uh, toolbox, uh, but you could you could just directly like spit out an Apex, or even let's say you're talking about that simple batch file case, uh, you can just zip it up or, or 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 create a package out of the Make Apex tools in the SDK. Uh, in the upcoming update to Visual Studio, we'll have some tools to help you with that as well. Uh, yeah. So so yeah, the whole use of the converter is one workflow. Uh, you could certainly make do with to use you know any one of those other things that we talked about as well. Well, t tell me a little bit about the Visual Studio experience, Uni. I, I, if I don't want command line and, and things like that, what, what kind of options do I have if I want to stay inside the IDE that I've, you know, grown to love? Yeah, so uh, I'll describe an experience that doesn't exist today, but will exist in the okay. near future. There's no point like looking back, so to speak. Uh, yeah. So uh, in an update to Visual Studio 2017, you'll be able to uh, take your, let's say, your simple, uh, you know, exe, your calculator.exe application package out of it, right? So you don't need a converter. You don't even need to write an MSI or anything like that. You pretty much have a project, let's say, uh, a WPF project that spits out your calculator.exe. Uh, we'll get you another project that that we let's call it like the the Apex packaging project. Uh, yeah. You pretty much uh, do your known gesture of adding a project to project reference. Uh, and then right-click and create store packages, and that's pretty much it, right? So with three three clicks, without using convert, we'll 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 build you an Apex package that's ready to go to the store, um, just like you you do today for UWP apps, you know, in Visual Studio 2017. Nice. Um, and if so, I so, need to make changes to my uh, manifest in that same update, there might even be a checkbox that says. That's right. I mean, this, this particular uh, project that will that, that that will help you add to your solution. We'll have everything in it, including uh, a pre-made, uh, you know, manifest file. You can you can choose to change it if you like. So other defaults are enough to you know help you get started testing. Um, and then yeah. when you're ready, you can of course uh, put in your final assets, make your uh, strings, and then uh, you know create packages right from Visual Studio. Okay, that's pretty sweet. Looking forward to that. Uh, now let's talk about today for a second. Um, yep. What's the debug experience that I get in Visual Studio? What, how do you coach developers now that you're trying to build your, your uh, companion application? That's right. So today the, the, the experience requires you to, uh, we have a Visual Studio that allows you to create uh, what we call a debugging project. What all that does is lets the lets Visual Studio know when your intent. Oh, by the way, we should take a step back. Uh, your yeah. intent as a developer is to sort of take your code that that was working perfectly fine 
uh, as a .NET application and make it available, let's say, via the Windows Store, right? Um, yeah. At the same time, you want to continue to sort of like uh, test it as you know a regular application that always you know uh, uh, was working before. So this desktop debugging project, is your intent to test it in the context of uh, the the UWP uh, application model, or is your intent to test it in the context of your classic Windows 32 application model? Uh, so once you set up oh. this project type, depending upon what your startup project is, if your startup project is this new project type, when you hit F5 in Visual Studio, we will deploy the application uh, in the context of a, a Windows 10 application model and activate the application that. Yeah. Now, now wait just a second. I'm a developer and I'm, I'm getting pretty excited about what you're talking about, Uni. So make sure I, I know it's it's called the Desktop Bridge Debugging Project. Is that is that what it's called? That's right. I mean, that, that name is going to change soon when we sort of expand its capabilities, but that's what it's sure. called. Okay, so that's what it is today. And if I want to download it, I get it through the extension manager, right? It's not a it's not a a template I download or whatever. I go find it through the extension manager, and it adds it as a template for me. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've used it, and it's it's remarkably straightforward. That's, that's, yep. Okay. So now inside, that's great, by the way, because um, it's very difficult to debug your Win32 application in a UWP context without something like that to do it. Um, so now my application, my calculator, I've broken out my scientific calculator to be all UWP. So I really am shipping two, and now I have this debugging project to help me bring them together and kind yeah, of do it in two different uh, ways. So the goal is that it's the exact same code base you're maintaining and testing. Uh, you're just in like two different ways, right? So your your code is 100% shared. Um, it's just packaged in a different different uh, uh, in, a, in a different different using a different methodology. Okay. And uh, so let's talk about some value in the store. We talked a little bit about um, some things, but one of the things that every software developer that is paying or uh, wants users to pay for their application is licensing, and the store handles licensing for me, right? I, now I don't have to fiddle with you know all these crazy keys and these things, and I mean we've all come up with our own crazy mechanisms that are probably easy to break or we paid for licensing subsystems that we add to our application all of that's gone actually makes my app I don't know Stefan it's a little more lightweight because I don't have to have all of this stuff yeah definitely so there's uh, probably a lot of code that you can just uh, delete because it's uh, it's done for you by Microsoft um, mm -hmm. uh, but not only that it also uh, opens up new opportunities uh, uh, for, for different models that, that the store uh, provides, like for trials and, yeah. you know, um, and, and, and uh, doing in-app purchases uh, in your application uh, using the store APIs. Um, and then also new in the creators update, there is the, the new uh, payment request uh, API that you can uh, use for uh, kind of a checkout experience uh, in your application. And uh, again, basically, and which, Microsoft which isn't going does all to the, the store, heavy right? lifting. This is not going through the store. That that is right. Um, uh, and then uh, yet, yet again, it, it's a very simple uh, workflow for you. And yeah. you know, you don't have to uh, worry about uh, all the heavy lifting that that Microsoft is doing for you. Now. So the, the request payment API, it's engaging with my MS, my Microsoft account, and all the payment mechanisms I've already set up there, and it's using what we used to call Microsoft Wallet, and now that API is just a, a simpler API for me to be able to call it. So even if I'm not using the store, I can still request payment right now, and it's
it's still abstracted. I never see credit card numbers. I never see anything, and everything's kind of handled there. What, what about Cortana? Can I use Cortana in my desktop applications? Uh, yes, you can. So what about, you, uh, yeah, you convert it uh, in a nutshell. Once you have converted your Win32 app uh, with the desktop bridge tooling, you have access to all UWP APIs, and so this includes Cortana. Mm, what what about uh, what about application data? One of the things as a developer, I have to maintain this web server out there, and the reason is I let users save their settings. Um, but I also know that UWP has its own settings API that roams from machine to machine to machine for me, even without having to set up a web server. Can I take advantage of that mechanism and yep. bring down all my web servers? Uh, yep, absolutely. You have the exact same um, uh, application data APIs available now in your converted Win32 app. That's brilliant. There's so, there's so much win for a developer that is already – how about this? I need a web presence. You know, I, I have to go have a website because if people, you know, Bing or Google my, my app name, I want them to be able to find it. So I had to go get a website, get a domain, blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't it be great if the app store gave me a web presence instead? Well, it does. There you go. Now you, they can find all of – find your application there, and I don't have to maintain this secondary one, which what would just point me to back to the app store anyway. So that there's just a lot of little things that are just – it's just nice. It's just nice. Um, what about – cool stuff now, like Project Roam. Can a Win32 application shipped as an Apex take advantage of Project Roam to be able to leverage my same application on different devices? Yeah, definitely. Uh, again, same, uh, same is true as, uh, as for any other UWP features. Uh, uh, as a converted Win32 app, you have access to all of that. Now, I, my application, my calculator, I have been dying for that calculator to run on Windows Phone. Now with the desktop app, will it run on the Windows Phone? So, no. So your Win32 code, uh -huh. um, once you uh, package it as a Windows app package, is still a, a Win32 app that uh, targets uh, the desktop SKU of Windows 10. So... In order to uh, run on other SKUs of Windows 10, you need to uh, complete the journey across the bridge and basically uh, move all your code into the UWP app container. Right. Once you've done that, uh, then uh, your app can deploy and run on all Windows 10 devices. And you're going to give me the same answer when I ask you about Xbox, when I ask you about HoloLens, when I ask you about anything else. You have to complete the bridge. This is the desktop bridge meant for the Windows desktop. Um, since we're talking a little bit about, and one of the reasons, by the way, it won't work, and I'm sure it, there's more than just one, but one of them is, well, frankly, I've compiled to a specific chip, chip set, right? I've compiled to x86 or 32, and um, uh, th that's a, I think that's important for me to be able to kind of understand. I have my application in two versions. I have a 64-bit and a 32-bit. Uh, let me ask you, which one do I submit to the store? Uh, you uh, submit both, um, or you can submit both. Uh, so okay. it's it's ultimately up to you. We we recommend you you submit both, and okay. then uh, the store will uh, provide the appropriate one to the customer depending on uh, on the machine that they're running. Okay, so I don't have Jerry's calculator 64-bit, Jerry's calculator 32-bit. I have just Jerry's calculator, and depending on the user and the, and the, the, the architecture of their computer, the store decides which package right. they get.
Right. Okay, that's pretty nice. Now, what about, talk to me about localization. I, I've still decided not to change my EXE, but inside that EXE, when I install it, one of the things is you want English or do you want gibberish, right? And so I can, you can pick either one. Um, how, do I, how do you handle localization like that inside the desktop bridge? Yeah. So uh, if your existing Win32 application uses um, a, a, a localization mechanism from kind of the, the Win32 world, that would still continue to work uh, in the exact same way as before. So we're not okay. uh, changing any of that or we're not taking away anything. Uh, so things will just work the same way. Uh, however, once converted, you also have the option to use kind of the, the modern way of, um, of localization that, that we are using in the UWP world, uh, using the, uh, the MRT uh, APIs and, and infrastructure in UWP. So that is a new option that is available to you as well. Okay, so that's pretty nice. Uh, so if I do happen to force a user to pick a language and they only get one through setup, but I'm able to do that unattended so I can still use the converter, um, I, can create, I can create two and kind of handle it like the two architectures and I can give both up to, uh, up to the store. Uh, Uni, one of the things that um, I like with mobile applications is being able to use Hockey app, of course, we, we've rebranded Hockey app now to um, Visual Studio, oh, I just lost it, Visual Studio Mobile Center. Um, isn't, that, isn't that right, Mobile Center? What's the, um, what's the story with my Win32 application? Can, can I use that same sort of functionality and get benefits from it? Yeah, so first of all, Visual Studio Mobile Center is sort of uh, a ground-up effort. Yes, it does support uh, scenarios that Hockey app, Hockey app used to support. But we are sort of positioning that as sort of like the one one place, uh, one stop shop for doing all of your various activities in, in the dev process. That could be automating betas like what Hockey App used to do, looking at crash analytics and everything in between, right? So so that's that. Uh, about Hockey App uh, or, or about Visual Studio Mobile Center, we just, uh, I believe like 10 days ago, announced support for UWP apps in the Visual mm -hmm. Studio Mobile Center. So, so right now, the support is restricted to UWP apps, but we will soon bring um, other app types as well, like the desktop bridge converted app types as well. Uh, it's just a matter, it's not that far off, uh, but right now, Mobile Center is restricted to UWP apps only. I love talking about future things like this because it's just one of those things where you see a gap and you're like, why would that gap be there? But that's not what you should think. You should think, I see a gap, they're going to fill that gap. I mean, of right. course they're going to fill that gap. That's right. It's just our, one our, of those things. Right. Our, our, uh, I mean, one of, the, one of the reasons why it's so is, uh, uh, like I said, it's not just about distributing the applications. It's about uh, writing an SDK so you can add telemetry for your application. Or, you know, so it takes time for us to bring up the SDK required for the, requir you know, the functionality as well. Um, and it's not just about, like, you know, uh, an AppX that we distribute to the to, to user. So, so uh, it's sort of like multiple, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, steps along the way before we sort of get to the point where we can distribute that Apex itself. Uh, we'll get there soon. Mm -hmm. All right. So, great. Super great. And I would like to say that I would imagine that will be something wrapped around .NET Standard 2 when that day comes and the, all those SDKs are there too, I would imagine. Uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we want to make sure that uh, those SDKs are primarily right ones and run everywhere. Uh, including Xamarin iOS, Xamarin Android, UWP, um, desktop, you know, Win32 code, etc. 
uh, WPF, for example. Um, so so that, that's absolutely true. I, uh, I, another cool win. I, there are so many little things that we give to developers through this process that are, I mean, you just, once you put it all together, it's crazy not to, to think about this as, and all of its value. Like one of the things is, uh, how nice would it be to have a dedicated human tester go through your application before it's submitted to the store? The store gives you a real person. Like it's, it is an actual human clicking to make sure one plus one really equals two or, or whatever makes sense, right? And, and to make sure that part is cool, but you brought it up with Hockey App. Um, around telemetry, I'm oh, sorry, you brought it up with the Visual Studio Mobile Center with telemetry SDK. But before I go to like really deep telemetry where I can have custom events and all this neat stuff, I get basic telemetry for free just because I'm in the store. How, you know, which country, what are my crash reports? I can even upload my symbols so that my crash reports make sense to me and I can see lines of code. I can, you know, what types of users, when did they use them, how often do they procure it? I mean, it's inc all of this stuff, you're like, wow, how am I going to put all that in my code? Nothing. My calculator.exe still doesn't need to change. I just That's get that as for free. It's pretty awesome. You pretty much define your control groups. Like, uh, you know, think about this as you running your experiment. Uh, define your control group. You get them to use it, get their feedback, fix the bug immediately, and then turn around, you know, within an hour and, uh, you know, get more feedback. So, yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. Now, Actually, within an hour, I'll make a change. I, you know, it turns out I just, I had a label spelled wrong. I said name, but I mistakenly said, a, you know, amen. <laughs> you know, I totally spelled it almost right. I've made this tiny change. It's a four gigabyte EXE. It's gigantic, Stefan. Now, I guess what? All my users have to download a four gigabyte file so they can fix one tiny thing? Yeah, no, they don't. So, yeah, thanks to differential updates, you know, they will get like a really, really tiny uh, update package uh, downloaded to the system that really just fixes that block, as we call it, uh, that contains yeah. the, the, the changed string. And, uh, and then they're, they're up and running um, automatically with, with your bug fix. That, you know what, that's almost an art in itself. If you have an application today and you need to make a small change and that's a, you make a hot fix or you make a patch or, you know, whatever technique you've decided to go across, it, it, fine, those all work. We've proven that they work, but they are sophisticated and it's, you're going to have an entire, you know, uh, I don't know, schooling path just to figure out how to do that right. And most developers are like, forget it. I'll just ship the entire thing again. This is too much to figure out regardless of how, what a benefit is to the user. But now I'm submitting it through the desktop bridge. I get that for free. I don't have to make any, you guys interrogate my, my new submission as well as the one that's installed on all the user's desktops, figure out the delta between it and hocus pocus magic later and all of a sudden, wow, this tiny little thing comes down, and what the developer have to do to figure all this out? Nothing at all. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're so nonchalant about it, Stefan, but it's incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. All right, two more things before we, before we wrap up here that I, I want to make sure we talk about. One .NET Core. Is my .NET Core application supported this way? Yes. No reason to believe why not. It is XCopy deployable. Yeah, there we go. So it looks like Stefan has tried it. It's XCopy deployable, so why not? Yeah, that's All right. And it's the, that's the one kind of scenario I hadn't thought of asking up until just now. Uh, and, the, and the last thing I wanted to ask is around Windows 10 S. So we announced Windows 10 S in, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, and uh, the S stands for Desktop Bridge. <laughs> it doesn't stand for that, but if I want my calculator 
running on Windows and the user is running Windows 10 S, can my calculator be deployed onto Windows 10 S through the bridge? Uh, yes, that's correct. So Windows 10 S uh, will only support apps uh, deployed from the Windows Store and so this includes both uh, UWP apps as well as desktop bridge applications. Yeah. I, I, and uh, anybody listening who doesn't understand the strategic value of Windows 10S, it, I think it'd be easy to say, um, oh, Windows 10S? Are you kidding? Who's going to run that? Well, let's talk in a year because all of a sudden, this we are, we're behind it and all of a sudden, schools are behind it and all, all of these things are happening because it's a very affordable version of Visual Studio, uh, Visual Studio, a very affordable version of Windows and it's very safe and secure, has all these nice mechanisms, mechanisms around it. Kind of goes back to the, the dream we had, the big dream we had with Windows RT, you know, where we were like, look, we can lock it all down, only now we can lock it all down and we can support your Win32 apps, which of course was a limitation back in those days, thanks to the bridge and all the things we can do around there as well. I think that's, it's a big win. I mean, it, you're, you're just going to miss the opportunity and it's why, because what's the pain point around a desktop bridge? I guess you're just going to have to have all these capabilities for free. Or I guess you're just going to have to run this quick little utility that just gets, spits it out at, on the other side and now it's ready to go. And I can put this automated through my existing build process and I don't have to change all these mechanisms at all. Everything still flows the same. Almost no code change. Many times it's removing code, right? I'm taking away that upgrade thing. I'm taking away that system tray thing that I've got there and pieces like that that are right. And for the 99% of Win32 apps that qualify, right, there is that 1% that do these special things. But for all the others, man, this is a no-brainer. And I think we're starting to see it's starting to pick up now. I mean, you, uh, Uni, you said... Uh, you're using Slack out of the store. I've just installed the in our internal version of Skype for business, so we know that's coming. We just announced Office 2016 is going to be available in the store so that they can have that on their Windows 10 S's. What are some other apps that you guys have seen adopting the desktop bridge? Well, one of the big announcements that we just made at the build conference uh, was iTunes. So iTunes is coming to the Windows Store. I think that's a that's a great app uh, to have on the platform. Yeah. Um, uh, Evernote was one of our early adopters um, that we we talked about it at uh, build 2016. Actually, we uh, remember we converted it on stage uh, live. Uh, there was was no. Uh, no black magic or anything. We we actually mm -hmm. converted the the real uh, Evernote or live on stage, and you know now that, that they've been in the store for for a couple of months. Uh, Cody is another great example. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. They they are a very uh, popular and and, and successful uh, with their Windows Store version. I saw where Inkscape is now in the store. Right, a lot of people like that for SVG yep. editing. Uh, Flux is now in the store, which I've used for years and years. So capable. And then, um, what's another cool one? Um, oh, Fiddler uh, is almost in the store, right? Because I'm working with that team to get them into the store. What were you going to say, Uni? Uh, I think Telegram. It's uh, it's uh, you know, it's oh, used yeah. to send like encrypted messages. Uh, I think that's a, that's a. If I'm not mistaken, that's a desktop bridge app. Yep. Uh, um, yeah. And I, I, I and, and what's what we're not mentioning now is. Um, those 32-bit applications where um, they're internal, right? And my, my enterprise is ready to use it and move it in as well because, I mean, you know, it's the chicken for the egg. 
And in this case, I needed Windows 10 on my desktop before I could really start thinking about the store. You already sold me about this, sold me with the store a year ago, right? It was incredible what the store could do, and and now look at it even better. Um, but you know, I, I, internally in my enterprise, I didn't have that option until just now. My uh, admins have started rolling out the desktop um, Windows 10 upgrades, and so that's a big deal. Now suddenly, I can start really thinking about this as a as a real solution I can convert it I can start doing the testing start in, investing into the Windows Store for business as well so where we might you know start mentioning things like you know you know fiddler and slack and office those are all big deal and those are important but at the same time we have these internal ones that maybe they're invisible to us but at the they're they're there especially now that they're being unlocked by desktop migrations that are, are kind of inevitable right because Windows 10 is now starting to see its adoption you know starting to spike inside the enterprise that wasn't that wasn't there before it's it's pretty great and no extra pieces for them no extra pieces for them either and it's just kind of kind of a win for everybody around I, I I'm proud of my calculator exe I love the fact that the process can be you know it's just a batch file double click it's all automated for me I get it all set up I'm ready to go and now I can even use the APIs to submit it into the store if I don't even want to go into developer portal and, and uh, interact with it through the web I can automate everything all the way across and now it's in the, in the store with free telemetry and testing and CDN and signatures and all the things that come free just because I'm using the store and you know like especially enterprises, they just spent $6 million writing this line of business app. It took them three years and a million developers, it seems like. The last thing they want is from Microsoft to say, go re rewrite this whole thing as a UWP. That's the last thing we would ever say to them as well. That's not our message, right? Our message is great. Good job. We love WPF too. You've just done the, what we would have done if we were in your place. Now we're just giving you a bridge or a path into the store. Stefan, I have to say, what's the, what's the future of the bridge? What else could you possibly add to it? Uh, it's a great question. Uh, I think uh, there's still some uh, work for us left on the uh, tooling space. You know, working with Uni's team uh, makes some of the processes a little smoother for developers. And then uh, another big one for us is um, continuing uh, the API expansion of UWP uh, okay. to make it easier uh, for those existing developers to move their code into the UWP app container. And so we talked about that at, at Build 2017 quite a bit, about what we're doing in the fall creators update. Uh, aligning UWP to .NET Standard 2.0 is, is a big one. Uh, mm -hmm. We also mm -hmm. talked about uh, supporting a modern UI in Win32 processes, uh, which will enable uh, developers to uh, move more gradually uh, within their current UI, adopt some of the new concepts, and then move over into the UWP app container. So there's uh, some some pretty good investment areas that we're tackling for, for fall and, and yeah. Uh, Uni, I have to say, if I was a developer listening to this, one thing would come to mind. Um, you know, look, there are some things I totally get about UWP, right? I mean, it, around performance, around memory consumption, all the new controls that are being introduced, um, around all the innovation that's being added to WinRT. But at the same time, I look at the bridge, and the one thing I can't help but ask is, why would I write it as a UWP then? What do you tell developers who ask that question? I mean, uh, uh, the the uh, the 
in terms of uh, windows and capabilities forget about apis like the capabilities of the platform the operating system the hardware innovations that's primarily all going to happen uh in the uwp space um mm -hmm. and that's like really like uh, it's sort of setting you up for you know uh the unknown like uh, all the stuff that's going to happen in the future in terms of uh input and you know um graphics and uh all, all of that all of that stuff like you're 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 setting us up or setting yourself up uh, for leveraging, you know. Yeah, even the new design language. Yeah, I mean, by the way, like like you said at the very beginning, like, uh, you know, WPF is just fine and uh, we'll continue to make it easier even for WPF apps to call into as many of these APIs as possible. Uh, but there's a, there's a limit to, like, you know, what you could put in, like, you know, practically do in that space. And so beyond there, uh, you know, uh, if you're starting from scratch, I mean, absolutely, like, uh, you should absolutely consider, like, writing uh, UWP app. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. In fact, I, it, it, I think it pays to look where the innovation is. Like, where is Microsoft really investing for its innovation? I mean, it, it makes sense to recognize, look, Windows is slowly being written as UWP XAML, right? And Office is going to is UWP XAML when you look at it on mobile. And when you look at all of these investments that we have, we are slowly investing so deeply in Windows UWP XAML. And then you're like, well, why would I do it as UWP? Well, maybe because. You could, you could step back and say, wow, strategically, all of Microsoft is investing at an unbelievable rate inside UWP. Maybe I want to be part of the future instead of part of what's awesome today. I want to be what's part of what's awesome tomorrow as well. And so, right, well, how do I bridge this, these two worlds? Well, we've written the desktop bridge for you. It's going to be easier than you think. And it, it is pretty nice because my, my WPF app, which never even thought about Windows 10 until today, all of a sudden can start using these WinRT APIs and feel a little bit more like it belongs in Windows t Windows 10. And as I go forward and I'm like, wow, I really want to take advantage of these UI innovations and all these controls that just aren't available to me inside WPF, that's an easy migration path for me then because I've been able to do it very, very doing, slowly. That's right. And the, and the work you're doing with uh, .NET Standard and things like that, uh, we want to make sure that it's easy for you to not just move your code but share your code as well. So, you know, um, even if you made a, made a decision that, you know, you wanted to sort of, uh, you know, change tomorrow, um, that's fine. Like, I mean, there should not be buyer's remorse. You know, you, you essentially uh, can reuse all of that code. So, you know, there is nothing wrong. Uh, that's right. That's exactly right. Hey, we, it's one of our phrases we use where Microsoft, you know, respects your investment, but it's totally legit. And if there's anything that proves it, it's the desktop bridge. All right, Stefan, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a big fan of the desktop bridge. <laughs> That's awesome. I like all the work that your team has done. Thanks for being on the show and kind of talking us through some of the nitty-gritty that I think unlocks a lot of the mental blocks that may be there for developers. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uni, it's another great show. You're doing great work. Thanks to both of you. We'll talk to you guys again.